Welcome to the City Changes podcast. I'm your host, Carl. And today we've got a job for you, a special one. Using your skills and expertise, you'll be building the city of the future, entirely from the ground up. Full creative control, unlimited resources at your disposal, unlimited time. It's the brief urban planners dream about. So you can understand how excited a group of them in Dunedin, New Zealand, were to get it. Over several days, these experts applied themselves to designing the perfect city. Some looked a lot like the urban centres we live in now, but others not so much. There were cities built in and around tracts of forest. There was one connected by a network of public helicopters transporting people between places. Unfortunately, it's unlikely any of these will be built, or that these designs will even leave the room. But it isn't because they're bad, or even all that far-fetched. The problem is the designers themselves. Not one of them has any previous city planning experience, nor have any of them graduated from university. In fact, most of them can barely read or write, because not one of them is a day over five years old. As to why a bunch of preschoolers would be designing the cities of the future, well, that's a question for this woman. So my name is Christina Erkler. I work in the School of Geography at the University of Otago. Christina studies children's health and well-being in the urban environment. And it's important work because the worst parts of our cities affect vulnerable people the most, and that includes children. High levels of pollution, low walkability a lack of accessible green and public spaces. All of these have serious effects on the health and development of young people. And with 70% of the world's children predicted to live in cities by 2050, we have work to do if we want to create urban environments that benefit everyone. The problem is that children just aren't part of the discussion. Children under five have, if at all, just in passing been the focus of studies. Why? A big part of it comes down to us, the grown-ups, thinking we know best. I think we as adults are sometimes very focused on what we think should be done and how it should be done, especially because we have our own experience and our own good or negative memories about city life or growing up in urban environments. Christina and her team set out to discover how young children especially experience cities, and in their own words, which left them with a problem. How would they do it? After all, you can't exactly sit the kids down and ask them to fill out a lengthy questionnaire. The answer came from a conversation Christina had with a master's student she was supervising. She was very interested in city building and she remembered as a child that she loved to build huge cities with Lego. And that got Christina thinking. What would happen if you gave children themselves the opportunity to design a city? What would it look like? And what would it tell us about, A, the cities we live in now, and B, how we might make them better? Well, it turns out that it can tell us a lot. The question is, are we ready to listen? Christina's idea was to give preschool-aged children the basic building blocks of a city and see what they would come up with. We wanted to replicate that Lego experience but be a little bit more specific about the city features. To do this, 
they created thousands of giant picture tiles, which the kids could arrange on the floor of their preschool classroom. So we did a brainstorm about what we think would make up a city, knowing that you need um, good services, education, health, and so on. They had tiles for hospitals, police cars, libraries, supermarkets, but also pedestrian crossings, trees, animals, and of course, playgrounds. But we also made sure we brought blank tiles that the kids could then draw on what we might have forgotten or didn't think about it. What made Christina's project interesting was that the children had to ask for the tiles they wanted. Rather than seeing all available tiles from the beginning to ensure that they actually built the cities they wanted to rather than being influenced, what we as adults thought should be going into cities. Which led to one of the researchers' first insights. Christina's first time trialling the experiment started off well enough. The young boy they were working with picked up the idea straight away and he was excited to get started. And then he ran into a problem. We were so much focused on the features of the city that we totally forgot for whom we're doing this entire city building exercise. That's for the people who populate the cities, who live, who use the facilities. There were tiles for cars, houses and supermarkets, but there were no tiles for people. It definitely brought home to us that we, even trying to avoid it, approach the entire method design still from quite an adultist perspective. Designing cities for people is not a new idea. But too often, designing for real human needs comes second to meeting the demand of what's most important to us right now. And that's us as the adults in the room. Interestingly, people were front of mind for all of Christina's young urban planners, and not just themselves or their friends. What we were really impressed with is that the children were all thinking very holistically about their city. They were thinking way more holistically about what other people need. So what do their parents need? What do their siblings need? They're not kind of filling up the spaces straight away or just using every tile they get their hands on, but they're very, very selective in how they build, what they build, and why they build it. Despite their age, the children were also able to draw the links between what people need and the services and infrastructure that can meet those needs. They make connections. Some of these might seem pretty basic. For example, when you have airports, you need planes. But others weren't. Or if you have train stations, you need a bus stop so that people can get to the train station or a bicycle rack so that you actually can cycle to the train station and then hop on which kind of is still something plenty of urban designers undervalue or overlook completely. Meeting places, both public and private, also featured heavily in the children's designs. It really impressed us that they not were just building playgrounds, but also parks, and we're clearly making references that this is a destination where people meet, where they can get intergenerational connections, where they can make new friends, but also meet with the friends they already have. So they ensure they are diverse destinations for different age groups, but also for people with different needs, that there were services and amenities available for, again, all ages and abilities. The health and safety of the residents was also a common concern in the children's designs. 
from green corridors to road safety infrastructure, like traffic lights and pedestrian crossings. They wanted to make sure that people and um, goods could actually reach the different um, destinations safely. But I think for us, what was more importantly is that they actually really created cities that um, had many diverse physical and social elements that make people happy. Making people happy, which also means protecting and nurturing the environment that sustains those people, something the children also intuitively understood. They really showed these deep, inclusive and emotional connections. They really cared for the environment that they were envisioning in their cities. And they felt a responsibility to all living and non-living things. And so I think that kind of caring and holistic thinking um, and also actually sustainability thinking, that is something we can learn from young children to actually implement more into how we design or upgrade, transform cities. In fact, Christina believes there's plenty we can learn from children, especially the very young, not just in terms of the value of their ideas for an ideal city, but also how these can reflect the things we need to improve on. For example, what are the behaviours we're handing down to the next generation? Although the children in Christina's study had their own unique visions for their city, their designs also included elements taken from the cities they actually live in. The good things, yes, but also the bad. They also pick up and embody quite unsustainable practices that we teach them from the first day they're born. The way we get around is a good example. New Zealand is a very car-centered country, and so the kids we work with still embody a very car-centric environment, what they get to see in the everyday context also influences their city and their city building, despite that actually they take quite a holistic approach. There's certain things about unsustainable practices that we teach them really early on. We're not really good role models in this way for them, but also, on the other hand, we could listen more carefully to what they're interested, what they're fascinated about. Christina says some children included electric cars as well as cargo bikes in their designs. Which you don't see that often in New Zealand. So I think they're actually quite interested in, in experimenting more and trying to get heaps of different and diverse experiences. But often as adults, we deny them this diversity of experiences and go with what we find comfortable, what we find practical, what we use to, what fits into our everyday life rather than kind of really thinking about what are we doing to the next generations. Valuing the ideas and experiences of children is not just a nice to do. According to both the United Nations Convention of the Rights of the Child and the Child-Friendly Cities Initiative, it's a question of human rights. Children of any age or ability have the right to use, create, transform and develop their urban environments. But despite this obligation, there is that commonly held views that children under five often lack the competency to reflect on environments beyond their playgrounds or kindergartens. Christina's project points to the opposite conclusion. 
but it also points to the ways in which the usual methods can stop us from meaningfully engaging with diverse voices and perspectives. As Christina says, it's a question of giving different groups the opportunity to share their experiences on their own terms. The research approach we take is that we view children as social actors in their own rights, and that means we actually consider them as experts on their own lives. And so if something doesn't work, it's not the children's fault. It's just that we, we did something wrong. We didn't find the right methods for them to show us and share with us what their experiences are. The hope is that Christina's research can go some way to getting past the preconceptions around children's capabilities and giving them a voice in the way we design our cities. But that doesn't just go for young children. It's the first step. When we invite children with diverse abilities and interests, we actually contribute to more inclusive designs and framings of whose cities we are creating and for whom we are creating these um, cities. But we're actually trying to expand more broadly whose voices and needs in city design are heard and valued to diversify the consultation process and basically test methods on what could be done on a more regular basis to include their voices. And that's something we can all be thinking more about. Most of us like to think we listen to others, that we're open to people's views. But if the listening we're doing means asking the same questions in the same ways and to the same people, how open are we to a real discussion about the way our cities could and should work? That's all for this episode of the City Changes podcast. A big thank you to Christina Ergler for sharing her story. This podcast is an Urban Future production it's written and produced by Mariana Trevino. I've been Carl Dickinson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>